Welcome to Mac Geek Ab, episode 936 for Monday, July 11th, 2022. <music> Greetings, folks, and welcome to Mac Geek Ab, the show where... The goal is for each and every one of us to learn at least five new things. The way we accomplish that goal is you send us your questions, your tips, your cool stuff found. We go through them. We answer your questions. We share your tips. We share your cool stuff found. And that way we kind of have an agenda that helps us serve that goal. We're going to do it today. I know we're going to do it. We'll, we'll, We'll all keep count. We don't each have to learn the same five things, right? That's the beauty of it. Sponsors for this episode include... BB Edit from Barebones Software, of course, ZocDoc.com slash MGG. That's where you go to sign up for free and download their app so you can find the right doctor nearby for you on your schedule. It's amazing. And HunterDouglas.com slash MGG. That's with their custom shades and more. And and that's where you go to get your free style, get smarter design guide. We're going to talk more about each of these in depth a little bit later in the episode. For now, ready to learn my five new things here in Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in Fearful, Connecticut, this is John F. Braun. How are we today, Mr. John F. Braun? Hanging in there. All right. Well, we will continue hanging in there. I think I, I want to get right to Petter because I am super happy about this first quick tip. He tells us, I remember an earlier episode, Dave, where you explained that you don't use tab groups because they don't work the way you expected them to. When you close the tab, it remained closed. Like the next time you open the group, it doesn't reappear. And and this is absolutely right. That's just not the way I would have wanted to use tab groups. Well, Petter says in macOS Ventura, it is possible to pin a tab or multiple tabs inside a group. That way it will stay there forever. Even if you close the tab next time you open the group, boom, it's all there. I have not dug into this feature of Ventura yet, but I am super stoked to hear this because it might change everything for me. So thank you for that, Petter. Very exciting. Very exciting. Tab groups with pins is the new iChat with tabs, right? Maybe we need to do this. Tab groups with pins. And, uh, and then it'll make sure it stays. I, yeah, I put some echo on there. That's right. Yeah, I don't send the reverb back to you. And the reason is, John, because we both go through that reverb. It's, it, we've been doing this since day one. It's our little trick. I, I, I dial in just a touch of reverb that we're both in together and it makes us sound like we're in the same room, even though we might not be. So mm-hmm. it's but it's it it needs to be just just below the level where you start to hear it. It needs to be sub perceptible because otherwise it's too much. Like if I left the reverb like this the whole time during the show that you can say something so that people could hear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just too much. But so I just I know where to dial it in. I've I found the, the magic spot. Petter had a second one for us, John. Yeah. Or is it Peter? Hmm. Oh, it might be Peter. I don't know. Yeah, you're right. P-E-T-T-E-R. I think it's European. Yeah, fair. I don't know. No, you might be right. Um, I'll sum this one up. Um, Use your Mac as a power bank. 
Okay. I don't normally do this, but that's summing up his tip here is that if you need to charge one of your iDevices, um, use your computer. It's, it's a big true. old battery, right? It, it is. Yeah. And and Petter, I think, pointed out that you can go both directions uh, or you can. Uh, sorry, not both directions. Well, I mean, yes, you can, but your phone's not going to charge your computer, but you can charge your right. phone with your computer when the when the lid is closed, when it is, quote unquote, asleep. Which is right. Cool. That was that was the tip there. Yeah. It's like, huh, can I do that? And it's like, oh, yeah, I can. Yeah. And you tested this on on your uh, Mac, too, right? Your Intel. He's suspected that it was an M1 only thing, but I tried it on my Intel MacBook Pro and it works on that, too. Great. So. Great. Yeah. Awesome. All right. James has perhaps an answer to something that came up in the last show. We, were, we had a listener who was asking how to how what, what would be an easy way to sync folders, multiple different folders amongst uh, all of his Macs. And he said, obviously, iCloud was a possibility, but that would mean cluttering up either his desktop or his documents folder with all kinds of things. And James says a solution for that would be using the Apple stacks feature and syncing the desktop. Because that would allow the syncing of the desktop folders via iCloud without having to view a cluttered desktop because stacks will sort of automatically compartmentalize things on the desktop there. And so besides having a large enough iCloud account, no third party tools are needed. And he sent us a great video that Gary Rosenzweig over at MacMost did uh, with about stacks. So that's linked in the show notes now for you all too at MacGeekCab.com. Yeah, good. Where is Stacks? Uh, let's see. So you would go to view. Oh, man. Uh, if you are just on the desktop, the view menu has a use Stacks option in the finder. So make sure you're not clicked on any finder window. So just click on the desktop, go to the view menu and choose use Stacks. Hmm. Yeah. I or see that as BSD junkie in the chat says, right click on the desktop and choose use stacks. That might be a simpler way or option click on the desktop. There menu. we go. Yep. Ah, there you go. Great. Yeah, I didn't see it in the view menu, but I do see it in the right click. Okay. You, you must have a, a the view menu is very contextual in the finder. So mm. if you had a window selected, then you don't have the desktop selected because the desktop isn't ever actually selected if that makes sense but yeah that that's mm -hmm. probably why i like the right click or option click on the on the desktop that's the right way to get there yeah the most consistent way to get there there's no wrong way if you can get there it was the right way shall we move on to craig here or should we um sure should we so, let me uh, ramble on about semantics no <laughs> <laughs> so uh well craig is keeping his eye on the refurb store. And guess what? He sent us an email and he found a Mac studio is now in the refurb store. Now, when he found it, which was on July 1st, there was one model. Okay. I, when I went there last night, there are now 10 models Ooh. of the Mac studio. Very nice. I'm looking Yeah, some for under $2,000. So, yeah. Okay. I'm looking now and we're recording this on Friday, July 8th, if that matters to anyone. And uh, there are, yeah, it looks like 
six, seven, eight models, mm-hmm. starting with the for seventeen ninety nine uh, ten core CPU, twenty four core GPU, and how much RAM? Five uh, thirty two gigs of memory, five twelve gig SSD. So you get the interleaved SSD. There, there is an issue with the M two chips. When you have just the 256 gig SSD, you don't get quite the speed there because it's not interleaved, but 512 and higher, right. you get that. We were talking about that. If you joined our pre-show chat at MacGeekGab.com slash Discord, then, uh, then you, would, you, would have, you would have been part of that. But we like to surface these things and share. So just in case that's one of your five things to learn. So mm-hmm. there you go. It was, it was one of mine. I, I, that's, that I learned this morning. So, yeah. Yeah, not right. bad. Seventeen ninety nine. So. And the good news is there are third-party services that will do this for you. And I just looked at refurb-tracker.com, and they have the Mac Studio on their list now. So they're they're with the program. Yeah, Refurb Tracker is one of my favorite tools to use because you can get really specific. Like you could say, okay, I want a Mac Studio – and you start looking at, you know, okay, I want 512 and, uh, you know, or maybe I want one terabyte and I want, you know, 64 mm-hmm. gigs. And it, like, in real time lets you kind of see what your filters would show you. And then you're like, yeah, okay, great. And it'll even show you if what you've just typed in is in stock. And then it starts to get really fun. But you could say, okay, you know, I want uh, 10 core mm-hmm. CPU and all right, there's no matching products. So what have I done wrong? Okay, I need to look this way, and you know, you'll you'll find your you'll find your home. Yeah, I like good. that feature because typically, if I just hop into the refurb store and you look at the configurations, it's like, oh, that's why it's in there because <laughs> you know, like, like I find that they have like the SSD is like way too small for for my needs. So I'm like, nope, skip that. Yeah. Yeah, no, and it's great. And then you can subscribe to that once you customize your alert and it will email you when that appears in the the refurb store and the refurb store app. We're talking about Apple's refurb store here. The refurb store is updated essentially in real time. It throughout the day stock comes and goes. So it is it is absolutely worth using something like refurb tracker. We needed to get a new Mac for uh, Jeff Q here at Backbeat Media. And we decided that an M1 Mini was absolutely the right Mac for him, but we wanted to make sure it had the most RAM it could have and a you know a, a, a big SSD so that it would future proof because he's someone that keeps his computers for a, a fairly long time, and uh, and it took us a couple of weeks for that to appear in the store. In fact, it, I started to wonder, wait, are they you know getting rid of the Mac Mini? Uh, this 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 actually started before WWDC, but then eventually. No, it resurfaced and, and he was able to grab one and now he's using it. So, yeah, it's good. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, Dave. Yeah. The studio is too much machine for me. Interesting. My next desktop is definitely going to be an M1 mini. That's plenty of machine for what I do with it. I think, you know, I'm not doing yeah. any heavy lifting on this. I mean, you know, yeah. audio processing is probably the heaviest lifting, which isn't really that heavy actually i'm i'm i would guess that doing the video for the live video stream for our mac geek up show is which happens to be the show we're doing right now uh is probably the thing that uses the most cpu for you yeah so yeah i'm looking right now on google chrome is is 
the largest consumer of yeah. processing right now. Well, maybe 2022 is the year that we move our uh, each move our podcast production machines to mm. uh, to to Apple Silicon because we're both on Intel in, in my studio. I'm on Intel and uh, it's the only Intel machine I have left. But I'm 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 confident in Apple Silicon that I would I would do it. Now I guess I need I, I guess now I'm at the point where I have to decide is it a Mac Studio or is it an uh, M1 like a, like a mini like you're saying because I think the mini would be plenty of power for me. The question is, do I spend a little bit extra and future proof myself with a Mac Studio up here? I, I mean, I think I know what the answer is going to be. Um, I'll probably go with the Studio up here. Would be my guess. Oh. I don't know, but like you, I don't think I need it. I, I think it is more machine than I need. So it's good. And it's chonky. I mean, sort of, it's, it's like, it's just a little tall, but that's fine. I've got room on the, on the desk here. I got to get a new desk here. I got to, I got to rejigger my studio. In fact, I did rejigger my studio uh, back in March. My family was gone for a weekend and it was the beginning of South by Southwest. And so I was here for the beginning of it. And, uh, and then, and then I obviously went to Austin for sort of the second, I was home for the first third of it, let's say. And then the, the, the remaining two thirds, I went down to Austin in person, but I was watching keynotes and sessions and even some movies from home here. And we talked about a lot of those on the show, but one day I was like, okay, well, I'm going to put movies on like my laptop here in the studio and I'm going to rejigger the whole thing. Cause I've got this. This better like wooden desk behind me as opposed to this plastic thing that I've been on for 17 years. It's time. So I ripped everything off of both of the tables that that are up here. The one that you see behind me if you're watching the video and then the one that you don't see because it's it's the one my computer's on. And uh, I set it all up on the new desk. I moved everything around, John. And then I realized the new desk isn't wide enough to like fit all of my monitors and speakers and everything. And so I got to undo it entirely and put it back exactly the same way it was. And that was sort of maddening. But I'm thinking about rotating my setup 90 degrees and uh, I, I'm in this alcove here and I, I think it might be better and, and even roomier if I were to rotate my setup. The only issue is the, the, the feng shui of it. I wouldn't I would have my back to the door and I'm not sure if like I, I don't get. Maybe this isn't correct to say. I was going to say I don't get superstitious about a lot of things, but I, I do get superstitious about some. And of the things that I am superstitious about, I'm like super superstitious. And so the whole idea of having my back to a door while I'm like at my desk it is, I don't know. I got to wrap my head around this. Maybe somebody can help me. Feedback at MacGeekGab.com. Therapy for Yeah, Dave. I think I heard you right. Feedback at MacGeekGab.com. Yeah. Feedback. Dave. Feng Shui. Isn't that like the the uh like zen of arranging your furniture that is correct okay that is correct <laughs> yes it is the zen of arranging your furniture and it's all about like daggers and angles so mm-hmm. you gotta you gotta make sure that you're like protected against the daggers and um i don't know a ton about <laughs> it but i know enough so <sighs> anyway yeah i don't know i don't know what to do maybe somebody will help me figure it out I need an interior designer is what I need. Um, yes. That's, that's obviously. Those are the I people mean, that know these things. I, I, I need a lot of help. Let's be, let's be perfectly <laughs> frank about this. I'm we just, all need help. 
I'm having caffeine I, I, today because I was like super ADHD distracted this morning and caffeine generally helps, but I'm just hoping that by the end of the show, I don't turn into the, the great Cornholio. Uh, speaking of Apple, which is also a great movie, by the way, the new Beavis and Butthead. If you were ever into Beavis and Butthead, I can't recommend the new one enough. It is fantastic. <laughs> Brian brings us to a quick tip, which have turned out to be not so quick this morning. Also about Apple stuff, Brian says, uh, I was looking for something else and stumbled upon Apple's catalog of manuals for much of their product catalog. When all else fails, he says, read the fine manual. Uh, support.apple.com slash manuals. Essentially, you got to choose your country first. We've put a link in the show notes at MacGeekab.com for you. Thank you, Brian. That's a great one. Uh, very, very cool. Appreciate the appreciate you sending it in to feedback at MacGeekab.com. It's good stuff. Yeah. Now, you know, I seem to remember. Where is it? Books. I think if you search in books, you can also find product manuals or I may be dating myself that that maybe maybe that time has passed. Really? Like the books app? Yeah. Really? Yeah. No, it's been a while. I, m- I remember using it at one point to get a, a manual for one of my uh, devices. Well, let me see. I just searched the book app for iMac manual. I am finding yes. Well, I'm fine. It's inter- this is fascinating, man. I had no idea about this. I am finding two. I mean, there's a bunch of books that you can buy from third parties that you know are to teach you how to use an iMac, which is mm-hmm. great. But the first two that come up when I search for iMac manual are from Apple Inc. and they are free. One is iMac Essentials and the other is iMac Pro Essentials. This is fascinating. I had no idea that this existed. Huh. And I'm looking at mine here and the first two that come up on mine are HomePod User Guide. Okay, that's nice. Yeah. Not HomePod Mini, but HomePod. I don't know why, because I don't have a HomePod, but I do have a HomePod Mini. Right. And then the most re- and then the one next to it is Swift programming language. I, I recall bringing yeah. that up at one point just just to uh, learn it. Yeah, there's. I'm searching on the on the web. I, I took the link from books, and I'm just looking on the web here at more books by Apple Inc. And there yeah. are you know there's the iPhone user guide for 2020, the iPhone user guide for 2021 with iOS 15.5. Look at that nice find, man. Huh. Fascinating. This see, this is why I like doing the show. Oh. I love it. That's great. Yeah, huh. a relevant tangent, believe it or not. I guess. <laughs> I know. <laughs> That's awesome. Wow. Good find, man. All right. Pensacola Craig doesn't have I wouldn't call this a quick tip. I would call this a PSA. But Craig wanted to share, and I agree. This is a good idea. He says, uh, YouTube Premium can be joined or started on either an iOS device from the YouTube app from the iPhone App Store uh, or the iPad App Store or on your Mac via a browser or or you could join via a browser on your iPhone. So there's actually three days, three ways. But, you know, and from the web or from the app. So depending on whether you're using the app or the web, you may frequently see offers on Uh, For a three-month free trial afterwards, it will bill you monthly. However, be warned, 
If you start the YouTube premium free trial via the app on your iPhone or iPad, it will execute the subscription via the app store. But if you start it on the browser, it will execute the subscription directly with Google to whatever payment method you choose. The monthly pricing is very different depending on whether you use the app or directly via Google Play. If you start the free trial via the, the app and therefore have an app store subscription, when the trial ends, you will be billed $15.99 a month. If you start via the browser, when the free trial is over, it will bill you at $11.99 a month. Huge difference. And in the end, once you have the subscription, you can use it on the web or on the app. So Craig's advice to boil it all down, start your subscription from the web so that you're only paying 12 bucks, not 16 bucks. I like it. Nice find, Craig. That is a helpful tip. Use YouTube premium or any of that stuff, John? No. Okay. All right. Yeah. And you're still on like, I'll call it terrestrial cable. I don't know what the right term is anymore. Right. For your TV. You're not using like Fubo or, or, or any of that. Right. Um, so I have cable. Yeah. Cable through optimum. Sure. Okay. And I do all my services through them. Currently. Sure. Yeah, okay. So I have phone, I have internet, and I have TV with them. Right. Um, and the cost keeps going up, which of is course. aggravating. Of course. Yeah, I got to call and yell at them again. Oh, Same. we got you in hey, touch you with like the rate? the fiber people though. So if mm-hmm. maybe maybe that's the the trick. Oh, Optimum is actually offering fiber as well. As right. I think Frontier is yeah, everybody yeah, so these new guys came into town, and then all of a sudden, all the other guys that right. have a fiber backbone, anyways, were like, "Oh yeah, we're offering fiber too." Yeah, 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 yeah. Like Optimum actually offers a one gig up, one gig down plan for like fifty bucks. So I gotta gotta get with that. Yeah, yeah. We talked about this. Yeah, the yeah, thing yeah. Is that you know I'm gonna have to install a, a whatever you call that thing. <laughs> you don't have to install it at all. They'll do it for you. Oh, I know, but yeah. but you know I'm not gonna be using my cable modem. Right. Well, I may have it as a backup. You never know. That's what I'm doing now. I mean, I, I keep the cable modem as a backup with with like the slowest speed they'll sell me. But but given our recent conversations, I think I'm going to try and move that to a completely wireless backup solution. Just so, so do you I, have a load balancer or anything or how, how do you? Um, no, I mean, yes, my router, my Synology router is capable of load balancing. Right. OK, but I, I j- only use it for failover. I, I don't use mm-hmm. it as a load balancer. Uh, I so I, I I just have it only fail over to the cable modem if my fiber connection actually stops working entirely. So which mm-hmm. is which is fine. I mean. My my fiber is, you know, it's gigabit symmetrical. So like, I don't I don't need to bond the speeds of the two of them together. That's not the point. That's not why I'm paying for cable. It's just as a backup so that I have something. Right. If and when. And it was really only because I had a, an issue with my ONT, which is the, the, the analog to a cable modem for uh, for fiber. That's that's the little box that they would install in your house, John. Uh, but otherwise, uh, yeah, I don't know that I would. I don't know. It's kind of nice having it. It's a nice insurance policy. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. All right. Should we? Uh, well, we have some questions to do. 
we've got a bunch of cool stuff found that I really want to get to as much of that as we can. The next thing I want to do, if it works for you, Mr. Braun, is talk about our sponsors for today. Sounds good. All right. Hey, who doesn't love to live well, to be perfectly at ease, in comfort and in style? Good news. Our sponsor, Hunter Douglas, can help you do just that with their innovative window shade designs, gorgeous fabrics and control systems so advanced they can be scheduled to automatically adjust to their optimal position throughout the day. You've got to go and visit HunterDouglas.com slash MGG to really see the way these shades diffuse harsh sunlight and cast this great glow across the room. You can see how you can enjoy the view outside the window while protecting your privacy inside. And these shades have fantastic insulation that keep you warmer in winter, cooler in summer, and even lower your utility bills. And then, like I said, they can automatically adjust to their optimal position. That's using Hunter Douglas's PowerView technology. It's very cool. You can control it with your phone. you got to check this out. Visit HunterDouglas.com slash MGG today for your free Style Get Smarter design guide with fresh takes, creative ideas, and smart solutions for dressing your windows. HunterDouglas.com slash MGG for your free design guide and our thanks to Hunter Douglas for sponsoring this episode. All right. So before you book any brunch, you pour over the lists and lists of reviews, right? So why do you not do the same when you're booking a doctor's appointment? Well, with our sponsor ZocDoc, you can see real verified patient reviews to help you find the right doctor in your network and in your neighborhood. After all, finding the right doctor is just as, if not more, important than finding the right plate of Eggs Benedict. ZocDoc is a free app that shows you doctors who are patient-reviewed, who take your insurance, and who are available when you need them. On ZocDoc, you can find every specialist under the sun. So whether you're trying to straighten those teeth, fix an achy back, get your mold checked out, or anything else, ZocDoc has you covered. And ZocDoc's mobile app is super easy to use. It's as easy as ordering a ride to a restaurant or really anything else. I mean, we use our phones all the time. Go to ZocDoc.com slash MGG and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then start your search for a top-rated doctor today. Many are available within 24 hours. That's ZocDoc.com slash MGG, ZocDoc.com slash MGG, and our thanks to ZocDoc for sponsoring this episode. BB Edit, you've heard me talk about it. Countless times, not just because they're a sponsor, which, of course, they are today, but because it's an app that I use all the time on all of my Macs. It's open right now because I use it for so many things, certainly for programming. Right. It's fantastic because it colors and shades the code, not on disk, but just on screen so that I can really see where functions begin and end. So cool. You can do multi-file find and replace and you can invoke that from the terminal if you want. Speaking of the terminal, you can use the terminal to just invoke bbedit to edit a file, but you can also use it to invoke bbdiff, which is a way of comparing two files. Of course, you don't need the terminal to do that. You can do it right inside bbedit too. It's amazing how well they have made bbedit just be your tool for everything to do with text, not just coding, but yes, also coding. They've got a generous eval model, 30 days of full function to try out the app, and if you haven't checked out BBEdit 14 yet, doesn't matter if you've checked out a previous version, you get a new 30-day eval period just for you. Discounted upgrade pricing if you're an existing BBEdit customer. Visit barebones.com. You're going to love it. And our thanks to Barebones and BBEdit for sponsoring this episode.
All right. We were talking about backups. Um, we were talking about our backup cable connections. And Gray has a question that sort of goes in a different direction, but similar. I recently had a whole house surge protector installed and was wondering whether I can toss the uh, UPS battery backup unit serving my flat screen, Apple TV and Xfinity cable box. My wife says it's ugly. I was concerned about brownouts. Do whole house units do power conditioning? So it's a great question. And and you're asking the right question. Uh, Gray. Whole house units generally surge protectors in general will only condition the power in one direction. Right. If it if too much power comes in, a surge protector can and hopefully will uh, dissipate that extra power and bring it down to a level that is safe for your electronics. But if the power dips below safe levels, then unless it has a battery, there's no way for it to add power back in and bring things back up to safe levels. So if I were you, I would still absolutely be using the UPS that you have on your entertainment system. Let's, let's you know, let's call it. And I would also continue using the UPS that you have on any other electronics. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think so. And, and you're right that brownouts are the key that you, you know, I mean, certainly when the power goes out. Yeah, like, like it's nice to have the ability to shut down a little bit, you know, with, with a little bit of time. But the the brownouts are the thing that that really start to fry electronics. And often you don't even know that they're happening unless you have a device there looking for them. Uh, I, you know, I even in. Right. In, go ahead, John. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So a brownout is when the power company intentionally lowers the voltage or the unintentionally you. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 it can well, sometimes it's intentional and sometimes it's not like I've read something. Lately, um, what was it? Texas uh, has issues with their grid, and apparently now it's it's hot out there, so everybody turns on the AC, and they can only provide a certain amount of juice. Right, right. So that's right. They either reduce the voltage, or you just don't get any juice, which that's bad. So yeah, yeah. They'll do rolling blackouts sometimes in those yeah. those scenarios where it's like, okay, you're going to not have power for a little bit, and then you'll get it back, and somebody else won't have it. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, when the grid like is te- it, like it is in Texas, it, then yes, the, it, it can be intentional, but it can also be unintentional. I hear, uh, you know, we get power outages a few times a year. Certainly, uh, we've talked about those on the show, but brownouts probably I don't know twice a week on average. I mean, it's many times a month. Really? Yeah, I, huh. and that's been true everywhere I've lived. Uh, you know, maybe maybe a couple times a week is is a is overstating it. It might, but it's certainly, you know, two, two plus times per month where I will get a, a dip and I see it happen when I, when it's windy outside and something just like pushes against the power lines and causes like a little, Mm. you know, a a rejiggering in the moment. Nothing turns off. Clocks don't reset, but my UPS kicks in and, and then I get a notification from it because I have my UPS. uh, I keep it hooked up to my, like I have lots of them because I have one in the TV. I have one on each of my computers and I have one on my router. And then I have another one on my Synology. And the one on my Synology is also plugged in via, via USB to my Synology. And it, it'll send me a little alert when, uh, 
when it kicks in and, and when it doesn't. And it, yeah, it's certainly multiple times a month and, and often it will be, you know, five times in the same day. If there's any kind of storm, lightning, wind, you know, cause all our, our power lines are above ground. So they're, they're, they're susceptible to a lot of things. Yeah. I, I highly recommend we all have these things on any electronics we care about uh, for your laptop. Not so much, right? Because you kind of have a UPS built in there of sorts. Um, still good to have a surge protector so that you're not frying your charger. But, you know, your, your laptop's got a battery in it. So if the power dips, well, it's not that big of a deal. You know, that's kind of what it's for. <laughs> so, yeah, I... But on like on your desktop computers and stuff and, and your TV, especially your TV, that that would be. Um, yeah, I, I I put them on everything. I, I think it's 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 an easy thing to do. Relatively inexpensive. So the answer is yes. Uh, for me. OK. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. A friend of mine who uh, I went to school with and recently came out. Yeah. Um with his wife um he lives in arizona um and we were talking apparently in his neighborhood all the power lines are underground yeah that's the way to do it which if you're planning a community that's probably the right way to go i mean here it's the the, probably like with you it's a disaster i mean they're always trying to trim the trees but eventually one will fall on the power lines and then you don't have the juice that's it yeah we did look into like what it would cost for our neighborhood to have the lines buried, uh, you know, mm. and it, it, I mean, it was, it, it was one of those things where it would be a recapturable expense in about 10 years. But the problem mm. is when the power lines are, you know, like when a tree falls on the power lines, there's, there's some sort of subsidized money to pay for that repair, like FEMA money or something like that. Right. Whereas, if you are proactively burying the power lines, there's no FEMA money for you. So it was like, okay, we would like we, the neighborhood would literally have to pay to do this. And and that made it cost prohibitive, but it's like, wait, over the course of 10 years, this would pay for itself if we were just smart about the way we were spending the money. But that wasn't, you know, it's not, it's a municipality. It's, it's, it's not going to happen. So, mm-hmm. so we had, we put in a generator instead. And, uh, and now, we're somewhat protected against that. We, we guess. Yeah, I've been thinking about a personal nuclear reactor. Oh, expensive, dude! <laughs> Can you get those? Is that like a real thing? Um, maybe. Do you have to get a permit for this? Is this something you wouldn't really want to talk? Probably, about? yeah. NR, yeah, you probably need to talk to some government agency. Yeah, and your neighbors might want to have a say in this. There was a an article in Wired in 2007 about Toshiba's home nuclear reactor. I don't know that this is a good idea, but um, sh- sure. Yeah, I don't think I don't think we I don't think we want to do that. I don't think that's a good idea. <laughs> uh, you want to take us to the next one? Ferrers has some manly advice. Okay, <laughs> though it's for the ladies too. Okay. <laughs> Um, all right. Uh, he says, when talking about the caffeinate command, you suggested checking out the man pages, uh, which you can do from the terminal. Um, I find it easier to reference 
ss64.com slash osx. You may too. And it's basically a sequential list of all the things you can do from the command line. And going there, I already saw in the first few entries commands that I didn't know existed. It was like audio processing huh. stuff. So, so if you want a big old list of all the terminal commands you can do, uh, check these guys out. Huh. That's pretty cool. I'd never heard of this website before. I like that, John. Fascinating. Nice S64. find. 64. I wonder what that means. Oh, I know what the 64 means. What does the SS mean? Right. Yeah. Yeah, well, 64 is probably 64 bits, right? Uh, sure. It sounds, I mean, 64 <laughs> is one of those lovely numbers that's a, you know, a square mm-hmm. and like, it's beautiful. So, but yeah, hmm. interesting. All right. Well, listener Mike has an interesting tip. It's probably not one most of us are going to jump through, but Mike says, I think we all felt one of the best features of Carbon Copy Cloner was bootable backups. It's a shame that Apple has effectively nixed this ability, but I understand why. Carbon Copy Cloner does offer details on creating a legacy bootable backup, uh, creating legacy bootable copies of macOS, he says, but they don't recommend it. I, however, he says, tried something different. I want to back up my 2020 Intel MacBook Air and my M1 iMac with Carbon Copy Cloner and have the backups be bootable. I recently purchased a Samsung T7 one terabyte SSD. I formatted it APFS and made two volumes. With the T7 connected to the Air, I ran the Monterey installer on the Air and pointed it at the SSD as the, the volume. When the installer got to the point of asking questions about setup, I simply shut down the air. I had to hold the power key as there is no shutdown option when you are in the installer setup. I unplugged the T7 and booted the air separately. Once the air was fully booted, I then connected the T7. Uh, It might have asked about completing the install. I said no and quit the installer. I then set Carbon Copy Cloner to perform a full backup of the air to the T7 Uh, air volume upon which I had just installed Monterey. When this completed, I was able to boot the air from the T7 backup and it worked like a charm. He says, I then repeated this process with the M1 iMac on the second volume on that same SSD. And it was also successful. He says, when the OS is updated though, I will have to boot from the backup and go through the standard OS upgrade process as carbon copy cloner cannot write to the system volume. This is fascinating. Okay, so you install the OS, and then you do your carbon clone, copy clone, and then that's and then now you have a bootable. So this is the beauty of. I mean, it's it's janky. Don't get me wrong. It shouldn't have to be this way. But what he's doing here is leveraging the beauty of those split volumes, right? Because the way our Macs work now, even though we see it as one volume, it's presented to us as one volume. There's two. There's the system volume that control that contains just the system. And then there's the data volume, which has all our apps and our preferences and our everything else. And carbon copy cloner is just effectively copying the data volume from one you know volume to another. And it sort of leaves the system volume separate. So, yeah, I see. All right. That's, you know, that's it's actually not as janky as now that I say it out loud. It's really not a terrible path. Nice find, Mike. Thanks for this. I like that. It's pretty good. Huh. Yeah, I think both my carbon copy cloner things I 
didn't take the recommendation and they are bootable but it won't last like having i just like having the comfort of a bootable backup have you tested them recently? Because I thought that like the the carbon I asked because carbon copy cloner and super duper, I believe both use. And I can't remember the name of the three letter utility that that is in Mac OS that allows you to copy the to, you know, to make a, 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 the copy the system volume so that a backup would be bootable. And I thought that was deprecated now or not usable now i don't i don't know yeah, that you're check it out. yeah check it out i'd be curious you're on intel on that on that machine mm-hmm. so it might still work it might only be m1 that right. doesn't have that but i thought it was both i thought it was just monterey was like yeah no it's not gonna happen man so may, but maybe maybe uh all right moving along you want to take us to john john i'll take us to john um, all right. And John says, now that traveling is starting to become a thing again, <laughs> I've had my first trip since moving over to USB-C. It might seem obvious, but things don't always work as you expect. So thought it was worth mentioning that I've managed to use a RAV Power 65 watt charger that has two USB-C ports to charge all of my devices. Um, and the scenario is uh, USB-C port one goes to an iPad Magic Keyboard, which goes to an iPad Pro USB-C port to MagSafe battery, and then goes to the iPhone. Okay. Wow. And then USB-C port 2, USB-C Apple Watch Fast Charger to Apple Watch Series 7. Okay. Uh, I have two spare USB-A ports that I can use for my other things like AirPods and Anchor Battery Pack. Uh, the most impressive thing that the the way you can chain the iPad Pro when attached to the Magic Keyboard to the MagSafe battery, which also charges the iPhone, uh, and it minimizes the cable and sockets required. Okay. Okay. So he so okay. So he's using. I mean, he happens to be using this Rav Power thing, but but effectively, two USB C power delivery ports are able to be leveraged because of the way he. Uh, He's chaining these things together. Huh. Hey, that's pretty cool. Huh. Yeah, the, the, so the iPad Magic Keyboard to the iPad Pro USB-C port to the MagSafe battery. That's the part I'm not understanding because the iPad Pro only has one USB-C port. How are we getting from the iPad Pro to the MagSafe battery? I get how we get from the MagSafe battery to the phone. That makes perfect sense. How are we getting from the iPad Pro to the MagSafe battery? That's the part I'm. Wouldn't that take? Like, isn't that the part where you can chain the iPad Pro? Oh, because the Magic Keyboard has two. Right. Got it. Got it. Oh, see, that's really. Yeah. Okay. So the advice here is look at everything you've got. And and think about different paths that that you can string everything together. Oh, okay, I get this now. I like it. I like it. All right. Yeah, because I I suppose I do something similar with when I travel. John is I have a you know whatever kind of power source I have. You know some USB C power delivery thing, right? And then I connect that 
to like the USB-C, the OWC USB-C travel dock. And then that connects to my Mac and charges my Mac. But the travel dock has a bunch of USB-A ports and I can plug an A to lightning cable in. And then that'll just charge my phone, regardless of whether my Mac is plugged into the thing or if my Mac's even there. Right. So you can start like doing similar things. That's a, I like I like the way I like the way listeners John is thinking. That's good stuff. All right. Good. Uh, Sasha. Sasha. Um, Sasha says, I was listening to you all troubleshooting Greg in episode 935. And you mentioned writing down the exact wording in a dialogue box to apply the Google foo. Um, another way to do this, uh, which I hadn't really thought of, but now, now I am. Um, another way to do this is to use the relatively new feature of taking a screenshot and just selecting the text using live text in Mac OS. Alternatively, if the Mac has frozen, then grab your iPhone and just point the camera at the screen and select the text on your iPhone or take a photo. Cool. Um, yeah, the uh, one secret I'll share with you folks, which I think both Dave and I use, is if you enter the text that you see in a dialogue that, that's complaining about a problem, you're probably going to find people discussing it usually in the Apple forms or maybe on Google or Reddit. Um, actually, for the most part, I, I find the most relevant information on the Apple forms. But yeah. sometimes, Dave, actually Reddit is a, a, I mean, there are bad parts of Reddit. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, there's bad parts of everything on the Internet. But yeah, you're right. No, there's some good troubleshooting resources on Reddit. I'll, I'll agree with that. Yeah. 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 Um, Here's the bad news with live text, Dave, is that it only supports, uh, I believe, seven languages right now. Um, so as a bonus tip here, um, yeah, I was in the store one day and I was in the uh, uh, international section and there okay. was some food items that had Arabic. And I'm like, oh, I wonder what this is. Um, I mean, it had English on it, too, but it had Arabic. And I'm like, oh, let me see if live text does Arabic. Uh, no. Not yet. Okay. All right. Okay. But Google Lens does so. And now Google Lens doesn't exist as a separate thing anymore, though, right? That's all baked inside well, of. It's within the Google app. The, well, the Google Translate app, right? Uh, no, it's just the Google app. Uh, are you sure? Because I use it inside the Google Translate app and hit oh, the little okay. camera thing. Uh, that That's how I've done it. But I, are you using something different? Are you using. Is it no, I'm using app? the Google app. Huh. All right. I mean, I have Translate, but yeah, in the Google app, there's, you know, a feature that lets you uh, take a photo. And if it, yeah. And if it sees certain languages, it'll translate. Right, so. right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a Google Translate app does the same thing. And so does Apple Translate, but again, less languages. But yeah, when we were in, in Greece, I was routinely mm -hmm. using Google Translate. And the nice part about the Translate app is you can actually go in and tell it to download the languages ahead of time. So you're not relying on, you know, a data connection to do the, the real time kind of, you know, translations, which is super handy, uh, especially with, with Greece. One, it, Greece, it, the, it, since their 
as they've recovered from their their economic collapse in 2008, tourism has become a huge business in Greece. So it's fairly easy to travel there as a non-Greek speaker. But I will say, you know, most places have signs in both uh, Greek and English. Uh, Unlike, say, you know, Spain, where signs are in Spanish or or Catalonian and, and English, but the lettering, the Spanish lettering is mostly the same as English lettering. So you can read a Spanish word often and be like, oh, OK, I, I think I understand what that might be with Greek. So much of it is, you know, it's completely different character alphabet. Spend a little bit of time learning how to sound out Greek letters because they they don't if you're if you're used to, you know, English letters. They don't sound like you think they sound, but as, as soon my and I didn't think about this ahead of time, but my son mentioned it one day. He's like, oh, yeah, I'm just like translating the sounds of the letters and sounding out these words. And as soon as you start sounding things out, it's it's the same kind of thing. It's super obvious what most places are like 80 percent of them use words that are that sound like this, the, the words we would use. So learning how to sound those out and reads like hear how words sound when you read them on signs. It was a it was a fun exercise, but it was also super, super valuable if you happen to be traveling to Greece. I've had like five friends travel to Greece this year already. It, it's it's become a pretty or it is now a pretty popular place. So, And it's a gorgeous place. I highly recommend it. Can't wait to get back. But I also can't wait to get the cool stuff found, John. You want to uh, want to kick right. us off there? Uh, yes, I think we have. I think we have Greg is up first. Yeah. Right. So Greg has one that I got to try out here. Um, uh, Cool stuff found for you. For those of you that are fans of dark mode, this extension is great. I think it's available for iPhone and Mac. Uh, It can enable dark mode on all websites or only specific websites and customize it to dark or black. And the app is Noir, N-O-I-R. Yeah. Uh, dark mode for Safari. It's a, yeah, it's a Safari extension and there are versions for both uh, iPhone, I, you know, iPad, iOS and Mac OS. So, yeah. Yeah, huh. I should check it out because the, the, the one thing that I find jarring about dark mode is that it doesn't work in Safari. And I don't know why Apple has not enabled that feature. Well, wait, so. wait, wait. No, dark mode works in Safari, but only if the website has written it has been written to adapt to back and forth to dark mode yeah for sure it's not i say it's not a a terribly complex thing to do i i I might be underselling it a little bit it it it, it's fairly easy to build like a uh a css profile that a a Mm -hmm. cascading style sheet profile that 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 is used for dark mode versus one for you know for light mode just for the colors however it it can be quite an undertaking to go through the website and make sure you've caught everything uh, so that it one part of it doesn't look like you're looking at a film negative or something, right? Like in dark mode. So uh, you may get some of that with Noir, I would I would think, but maybe not. Yeah. Interesting. I like that. Yeah, I might have to put that on my laptop. I I wind up using dark mode at night on my laptop pretty, pretty regularly and, and on my phone. I hadn't thought of, oh, yeah, this. Huh. All right, cool. I like it. Yeah. Cool stuff. Found. Thanks, Greg. Thanks, John. 
Uh, what do we have next? Oh, yeah. Adam over at MacCast. He was he was actually answering a question from a listener. And uh, let's see. The listener had asked. Oh, shoot. Now I got my screen in the wrong spot. Lately, I've been taking pictures of recipes and trying to get them to format from columns to the usual paragraphs. Uh, do you have any advice on apps to manage recipes? And Adam recommended Pestle, P-E-S-T-L-E chef dot app. And he says he loves it. Uh, and so do over 10,000 other people. So maybe, you know, a, a subset of Adam's listeners are, are all the users of Pestle. But you can import recipes from everywhere, and then, you know, it'll even give you step-by-step -step directions for cooking based on the recipe. Wow, that's pretty cool. Huh? Very cool. Yeah. So, thanks, Adam. Good stuff. Fun, huh, John? Indeed. Indeed. I'm going to take us to Steve. We're banging through these cool stuff's found. I like it. We got lots, too. All right. Steve says, I just discovered an open-source free remote desktop app. Yeah. Uh, Rust Desk at, not surprisingly, RustDesk.com. Uh, it runs on Mac, Windows, Linux, and has iOS apps for clients. It can run out of the box, out of the box without much config. You have to give it the expected screen record and accessibility control permissions, and can be easily set up to help a remote user. They just download the Rust Desk app and give you the connection ID just like TeamViewer or any desk. Mm. Uh, you can also just have it running on your own machines for remote access. Best of all, it's totally free and installs quickly. Even better, if you're worried about security, you can even self-host the server. Oh. Huh. That's cool. I like it. Thanks, Steve. Good stuff. All right. Yeah, okay. Sure. Uh, Bill has one in the same realm uh, called Splash Top, which I think we've mentioned years ago. Bill says, uh, I've tried every product and hack over the years. The best one I've found is Splash Top. I not only use it personally, I've implemented the commercial version at my workplace. It's made IT support a snap for both home and work. I have three, sometimes four computers at home that I remote to from anywhere with Splash Top. It's so much better than log me in that you often mention. Please go to splashtop.com, he says, and check it out. I pay $17 a year for Splashtop Personal. Uh, he says this is a product that um, that should even advertise on your show. He says it's, it's that good. All right. Well, cool. Well, somebody doesn't need to advertise for us to talk about it. If you say it's good, Bill, then, uh, then we're in. That's great. Amazing. Of course, we, if, if it is good, we'd happily... Uh, talk with them about advertising, but that's that's not why we talk about these products. We talk about them because they will help. So, yeah, cool. Splash top, John. All right. Uh, I have a cool stuff found or two to use uh, to, to mention, John. Uh, it's, you know, we've been able to be outside because uh, it's warm now. And I've been riding my bike a lot again. And we talked last year, John, about using our using headphones while riding our bikes. And I think both of us were of the mindset that like, uh, sure, it would be nice to have the ability to listen to a podcast or even music or whatever while I'm out riding my bike. But I need to be like fully aware of, you know, traffic and things around me because, uh, you know, otherwise you get squished. And so I have been using 
the uh, Open Run Pro Bone Conduction headphones from the Shocks people. John, this is life changing. They do not even touch my ears. Uh, they they go around my ears and and just touch sort of the 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 front of my uh, just in front of my ear, the little bone that's there. And I mean, it's not like you're not going to get studio quality sound out of it, but that's not the point. You're out riding your bike, but I've, I can hear podcasts perfectly clearly without having like a crazy volume level. And the first day I tried it, I rode my bike out of my driveway and headed, uh, you know, headed out into the neighborhood. And one of my neighbors was walking the other direction and I said hi to him and he said hi back. And it was like, I could hear him because he's right there and I have nothing covering my ears. They're like 180 bucks on on Amazon. They fit comfortably even with a bike helmet on. And uh, it's pretty amazing. Uh, super lightweight. Uh, it, it's this to me. This is the answer for, you know, riding your bike with headphones on, John. So I highly recommend, man, because because I, I like you, I don't want something in my ears or on my ears while I'm while I'm out on the streets, you know, or even in the woods. But yeah. No, I'm with you, and it, it 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 concerns me when I see bike riders that are wearing earphones. I I always assume they're using some I'm sort like, of transparency think, mode, right? But yeah, I would hope so. Yeah, I'm like, I don't think you're quite aware of what's going on around you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How I mean, how could you be right? Like, even with transparency mode, there's there's lag. Right. You know, because it's a microphone pushing it into your ear. I mean, I realize it's not that much lag, but that whole spatial awareness thing is very timing sensitive. And so I, I, I don't know, maybe I maybe I, I should have tested. But why bother? These things exist. Bone conduction, man. Plus, that's cool. Bone yeah. conduction. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that gets me is seeing people that are on their eye devices while they're riding their bike. I'm like, no, 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 don't do that. What do you mean, like, like using their phones on their bike? Correct. While riding their bike in motion, they're fiddling with their phone. I'm like, that seems like, I don't know. I, I ride my bike to kind of get away from that stuff. I'll be honest. Like the, the first bike ride I did with this, I was not sure if I even wanted to bring a podcast with me because a lot of what I enjoy about getting out on my bike is sort of getting away from, you know, from all the tech. However... I do find that I get less the distraction of of someone else's thoughts in addition to my own is nice for, you know, the grueling moments of a bike ride when you're, you know, going up pedaling uphill or or whatever. It's like so I, I think I've been using it about half the time that I've been on my bike. Like I'll if a show ends while I'm while I'm riding, I won't like stop my bike or pull out my phone while I'm riding. And, you know, start the next show. I'll just kind of let let the silence be my, you know, my friend at those moments. But, yeah. Uh, speaking of being outside, John, there is the unfortunate addition of mosquitoes, especially in our, you know, more humid climates here. And we were at a, I think, a Pepcom, and we met with mm -hmm. the folks from a company called Bite Away. And they have this little, it's this little $30 thing. It uses heat to, uh, to essentially, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to oversimplify and perhaps even completely misstate this, but it uses heat conduction to cook 
the the poisons or whatever inside the the you know the bug bite that you have on your skin to eliminate the itching the stinging all of that good stuff and it does it within five seconds these these folks have been like they're these crazy german scientists and i say crazy in a good way that uh that have been researching this stuff for a very long time and i've tried all kinds of these things over the years john with kids and everything this one absolutely works the best it's amazing how well this stupid thing works. And I say stupid because it's like you would think like, why, why would it work better than all the rest? I don't know why they know why that's why they made it. But uh, yeah, it's uh, you know, they, it, it, it's amazing what it does. So, and it, it, it works. It feels safe. The FDA cleared. So yeah, man, good stuff. Of course, if you want to completely get rid of your mosquitoes, our friends over at Thermacell are the uh, the way to go. I, I am eagerly awaiting delivery of my Thermacell Live LIV system for like our patio outdoors. But uh, but I've been using Thermacell, the um, the fuel powered things, which you put like a little butane thing in. You can carry one with you. I use them at gigs. When I'm playing outdoors, it, 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 it like it uses a, a butane, a small little butane tank to heat up a tiny little flame that then warms up this pad that has like chrysanthemum oil or something in it. And it like mosquitoes just go away. It's, it's the best of any of these things I've tried. So I know we're not talking about stuff that's usable with your iPhone. Well, actually, the, the Thermocell Live is that the one that, you know, is like sort of permanently installed in your uh, in your backyard. But. Uh, the the portable ones, you know, they don't. You just turn it on, and it's amazing. It, it, I'm I've been blown. We've had these for a few years. When we first mentioned Thermocell on the show, it was far and away the the most popular of any of the non sort of computer related things we had mentioned in a very long time. So highly recommended. All right, should we get back to the computer related things, John? Yeah, why not? Okay. Uh, who's next here? Alexi, I suppose. Alexi brings us, uh, the, oh, oh, right. We were talking about the, the term for, you know, doing the dangle thing with your cables. And Alexi said he heard your suggestion, John, of using duct tape to give the, ta- the cables a little, you know, put a little tackiness there for the cables to stick to. He says he really likes the Blue Lounge Cable Drop Multi for this kind of thing. Uh, what it is, is it it's a it's it's a little piece of well-formed rubber or plastic that sticks to your desk and or whatever. I had one of these. It wasn't the Blue Lounge Cable Drop Multi, I don't think, but uh, something similar to this. And it has little slots in it for cables. So you just sort of pop the cable into the slot and then it just holds it there until you need it again. It's a simple little thing. They they sell it for like nine bucks. So it's the Blue Lounge Cable Drop Multi. Uh, I think I'm probably going to order a couple of these to have one on my bedside table. Although I charge my phone with with um, MagSafe, but I still have to charge like my iPad and have other. I do have a couple of cables next to the bed, so it would be nice to have them tidy and and where I want them to be every time I look. So Cable Drop Multi. It's a pretty good idea, huh, John? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh what's next? Lawyer Jeff. He will uh 
Good old lawyer Jeff. He said, um, if this makes it into the show, then it will be my seventh recommendation to do so. How do I know that? Well, my cool stuff found is listennotes.com. That's two ends in the middle. It's a free podcast search engine. By entering Mac Geek Gab and Lawyer Jeff as my search terms, I can find all six episodes in which I've been previously mentioned. Well, it will be seven once this one goes live. Uh, he says another cool feature is the listen score. According to listennotes.com, Mac Geek Gab is one of the top 0.5% most popular shows out of 2.8 million podcasts globally. Of course it is, Jeff says. The best of car talk somehow manages to be in the top 0.01%. He says, but I'm confident you guys are gaining ground quickly. Well, we got to have, we got to have goals here. So uh, I want to look this up. So lawyer Jeff and Mac geek gab, and let's see what happens here. Yeah, sure enough. Oh, it says 16 results. Lawyer Jeff, not six, but maybe I'm not narrowing it down the right way. Yeah, probably not. I'm, I don't know. But uh, we'll see. I could even get a notification, kind of like the, uh, the 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 thing on uh, Refurb Tracker, John. You can you can put in search terms and then have it notify you. That's actually not a bad idea. Interesting to get notified, like when people talk about Mac Geek Cab. Huh. Very cool. All right. Yeah, top point five percent. All right, we have a listen score of fifty seven, John. I don't know what that means. I hope it's not terrible. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. All right. What's, uh, oh. And why do they do what they do? Hmm. I mean, probably because it's helpful. It's a pain in the neck searching podcasts only. Like that, that's a, a tough thing for people uh, to, you know, to find. Oh, like, yeah. When their stuff's been mentioned on a show or whatever. Like we, we're very proactive about it. When we mention something, we'll tell people. And the reason I started doing that is because otherwise they never would have even known. So, yeah. Yeah. I guess the real question I'm asking is how do they make money? Oh, there, it looks like there's some sort of premium subscription mm. on here. I, yeah, they, when I was on the search results page, it says a premium membership. So let's answer this question. Uh, what is the premium membership? Uh, why teamwork maybe it's just, oh you get super search okay you get unlimited search queries advanced filters more results per query you can search by rss by apple podcast id or spotify url okay so they, they, it's it's a freemium model you get mm -hmm. some features right out of the gate and then mm -hmm. others you, you pay for all right that's cool i have nothing wrong with that yeah good all right uh, John, I have a new toy that I've been using down in the office and instead of talking about it, I'm going to play a recording of me talking about it because it is the new Tempest USB condenser mic from 512 audio. And I have no idea how I entered this, uh, how I started this thing. So we'll see what I said. All right. Well, here I am on the 512 audio Tempest is a USB microphone condenser. 512 Audio 
is the sister company, sister brand, maybe I think is a better way to say it, to Warm Audio, which is known for creating fantastic replicas of vintage microphones. And this one follows along with that, although 512 doesn't brand their stuff as being these clones, if you will, uh, though it they it's I think the same engineers and all that good stuff. So uh, this is the similar in design and profile to the warm audio WA 47 junior, which in and of itself is a clone of the sort of classic U 47 tube microphone. I am recording this from my office and that is not the environment in which I normally record this podcast. Perhaps I should have brought this up there to my studio so that you truly hear this in the same room with the same reflections or in the studio lack thereof my office. I don't have any sound treatment on the walls. I have attempted to set the gain of this to minimize that the cardioid pattern on this microphone should minimize that in my recordings. It seems pretty warm. If you're hearing this on the show, I have tested it enough that I feel like this recording in the office is a fair sample to compare against with what you're hearing otherwise in the episode with me recording, you know, quote unquote live for all of you. I like that this microphone has a gain control on the front of it. That's really the only way I would ever consider using a condenser microphone for podcasting. Generally the gain on them is set too high by default, especially on USB condensers. And that means it picks up all of the reflection of the room and, uh, it's just too much this one i can dial in and so it you know my preference for podcasting is a dynamic mic and always will be however clearly there are some condensers that when tuned properly can sound fantastic and i'll let you decide whether this is one of them all right back to live dave live dave here on a uh on the the earthworks icon microphone which is the one I've been on all show. Yeah, this thing's pretty cool, John. And it's got a blue light on the diaphragm, so you know exactly. Uh, yeah, I know. Mm-hmm. It's, it's delightful. I've been using it for, like, mm-hmm. my Zoom calls and stuff. Uh, if we were still doing, you know, if I still had, um, if I still worked at Mac Observer, uh, we, we would, like, this would be the microphone in my office that I would have used for daily observations and things like that, too. So, yeah. Right. Now, isn't the U47 a ribbon mic? Um... Let's see. I thought it was, and they're very expensive too. Yes, I didn't like thousands think, of dollars. I, I didn't think the U forty seven was a no. It's it's a tube condenser. I don't think it's okay. a ribbon. Yeah. Uh, no, no, no. But I will yeah, say yeah. that you can go to Warm Audio and get a. Oh, where is the? I'm going to find the the microphone. Because the Warm makes a WA forty seven, uh, which looks a whole lot like the U forty seven, because it's built to be a clone of the U forty seven, John, and it comes with the little box, you know, the 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 tube or the 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 preamp box, and it's got a tube in the microphone, and you can get it for only nine hundred and forty nine bucks, which seems like a lot for a microphone until you start looking at prices of an actual. Um, I lost you, John. There you are of, uh, of an actual U 47. And then you'll find the 949 mm-hmm. bucks is pretty cheap. 
So yeah, because I just did a quick search and found a U forty seven for uh, nine thousand dollars. That sounds about right. Yeah, no, I, the warm audio people. We don't talk about them a lot on this show because they're really geared towards uh, you know music studios and 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 music recording. However, uh, if you are into that, I highly recommend checking out Warm Audio. I've I've got it's not their their forty seven. It's the their clone of a, a two fifty one, a Telefunken two fifty one, which is also a ten thousand dollar microphone. You can get it for about seven hundred bucks or something like that from them, maybe eight hundred. And I use that for recording all of my vocals here in the studio. It's also a tube condenser. Uh, it's John. It's like it's absolutely stellar for that. It wouldn't. I, I wouldn't necessarily want to use it for a podcast because it would. It would. I don't know. It's not the same. But uh, you could probably tune it up to to be fantastic for that too. So, yeah. and plus, it uh, the the warm clone of a U forty seven. Looks just like a Telefunken U47. So. All right. I have another cool stuff found, John. Maybe the last one for today. It's this. Uh, it's an engine called Dolly Mini. And what's cool about it is it is completely built. It's a you type in words and it generates images from any prompt of words that you type in. So, for example, if you type in Steve Jobs watermelon, it will create pictures of Steve Jobs and watermelons all together. It's it's spectacular. In fact, I will make this Steve Jobs and watermelon. One of these I will make the uh, the image for this episode. What's cool is these images that Dolly Mini creates are mini images. Uh, so they wouldn't be big enough for a podcast episode image, you know, Uh However, if this is an AI engine, and then I can use uh, Pixelmator Pro, which also has its machine learning uh, engine for upsampling an image, which is astoundingly remarkable. Like, it's so good. And uh, so I will use Pixelmator Pro to upsample one of these Steve Jobs watermelon images. And uh, yeah, we'll, uh, I don't know. You'll see Steve Jobs and watermelons. It's going to be amazing. I don't know. Have you messed with Dolly at all, John? No. Have you heard about it before? No. Oh, man. It's it's such a cool engine. It can do far more than than what Dolly Mini does. But but I'll put a link in the show notes to Dolly Mini so that uh, so that we can all play with it because it's it's pretty it's pretty spectacular. It's fun stuff. All right. Do we have anything else, John? That's uh that we should that we should mention here? No. Okay. Well, then I'm going to find the band wherever they might be and see see if I can get the band out of the hot tub. Yeah, there we are. Fun. Thanks for hanging out with us, folks. Thanks to Cashfly for providing all the bandwidth to get the show from us to you. John, do you have anywhere to uh, you'd like to send them before we send us all off for the day? Uh. We could send you to Twitter. Um, he's Dave Hamilton. I'm John Braun. There's Matt Geek Gab. Cool. And Pilot Pete. Pilot Pete indeed. Highly recommend everybody uh, take a take a gander at our Discord channel at MattGeekGab.com slash Discord. There's, I think, almost 500 of us in there now. And uh, yeah, over 500, it turns out. 
and it's fan. I mean, it's it's really very quickly becoming our Mac Geekab home, where we can just be us and talk about the things that you know matter. We're answering people's questions, and it's wonderful getting everybody together. So it's you know we've got five hundred, which means we've you know we're maybe what one percent of the way there of getting everybody that listens on board. So we'll get there. We'll get there. It's fun. It's great. Really great. Lots of questions being answered. In fact, we got to start. We got to start taking the questions we're answering from Discord, John, and, and putting them in the show because it, it questions are very clearly moving from email to Discord. I've noticed the email volume going down as the Discord volume is going up, which is great. Like, I mean, it's fine. It's it's great to have questions in both places. The nice part about Discord is you get the benefit of the Mac Geek Gab community's answers in somewhat real time, right? Because it's just a, a chat engine. So you're free to, free to keep emailing us feedback at MacGeekup.com. Of course, that's never going to go away. Uh, but Discord is it's, its own thing. It's, and it's great. It's the best of these we've ever done. We, John, we've tried so many things, forums and Facebook groups and this, that and the other thing. This really, I know it's not our engine. It's Discord's engine, but this is ours. It's like the best it's ever been. So super stoked about it. All right. Thanks for hanging out, folks. Thanks for visiting our sponsors. You can see all our sponsors at MacGeekUp.com slash sponsors, including coupons and deals from sponsors that might not even be active sponsors anymore. But if the deals are active, we keep an eye on those for you. Sponsors for this show, of course, were Barebones, ZocDoc, and Hunter Douglas. Check them out. Subscribe at MacGeekUp.com. Tell a friend to subscribe. And John... While we're out there enjoying our week, I would like to wish you and me and everyone a little bit of advice and that we don't get caught. Have a good one, folks. 